0: The drive to go back to pornography resumed, and and once it hit, once it came back, I was like, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm addicted for life. I'm done. There's no way out of this.
1: This is Camus And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways all the way down to small, everyday things. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. This week I have with me Bill and his wife Rahel was on, oh, a few weeks ago or a month or so ago now. Um, And so we're super excited to have him on and to share a little about himself. Um, So we're just, well, we're going to start with a prayer and then we'll get to know a little more about Bill. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to speak with Bill and to hear about the ways that you've worked in his life. Dear Lord, as we talk about these topics, please just guide the words that are said Let them be a light to the people that hear them and help them just to see you in your goodness and your glory through the words that we speak. Um, Just send your Holy Spirit to be with us in the hearts and the minds of the listeners. Um, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Bill. So why don't you tell everybody where you're from?
0: All right. Well, currently I live in Michigan, um, but I never lived here my whole life. I've actually only been here for about 10 years, and that's a That's a funny story in itself. It'll be 10 years in the summer. And I came here with the initial goal of only living here for two years to finish my undergraduate studies. But lo and behold, it's 10 years later and I'm still in Michigan. I've come (laughs) to love Michigan, but I must admit, I grew up in Northern California and I love Northern California. I love California and I especially miss the mountains.
1: Mm, Yes, there's not many of those in Michigan and the climate is definitely different too.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well that's okay. The West Coast is currently, I don't know, probably not California, but currently Portland and Idaho, so like Oregon and Idaho all were getting snow the last couple of days. So yeah, you're not missing that.
0: <laughs> you just had snow last weekend. So oh,
1: yep. hey, we true. still
0: get it here too.
1: It's everywhere apparently. All right. Well also let tell me a little bit about your religious background. Did you grow up in a Christian home?
0: Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm really thankful for that, because I believe that it gave me opportunities to have my worldview shaped by the Bible in ways that I wouldn't have received anywhere else, and so it's a tremendous gift that I'm thankful for, and so I did grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I grew up going to church uh, regularly. And I'm thankful for that. I was involved with a youth club called Pathfinders. And that really was helpful for my, for my life for, for many years. Uh, of course, that's just kind of the, that aspect of, of things. There's a lot of uh, layers and interesting layers behind all of that. But I'm grateful that I grew up in a religious home because it, I believe it, it gave me an opportunity to have my life shaped by God's word in a way that as I look back on my life, it really prevented me from experiencing a lot of the, the pain and hardship that could otherwise have been experienced in my life. And so that's a gift that I'm very thankful for.
1: Yeah, I think so for sure. I think that sometimes like growing up a Christian home, we forget, like we don't think about or realize that like, oh wow, this is really a blessing, like really protected me from things and stuff sometimes we just look at it like, oh, I missed out on all these other things that other people got to experience. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I want to, you know, of course, starting this off, I don't know if my family members will listen to this podcast or not, but I love my family. I really do. And I miss them. Uh, I live in Michigan. They live scattered across the West coast and the South. And so it's hard for us to get together, but uh, growing up, you know, we weren't a perfect family. And, and I think every person listening to this podcast can can think back to their childhood years or teenage years and recognize, you know, my family wasn't perfect. And there are some that did grow up with incredible families and really great parenting. And I know that, uh, that there are others who are different than my story, who grew up with Really painful and horrific, you know, childhood experiences. So mine kind of sits in the middle between those, uh, between those two sides of the spectrum, I guess you could say. Uh, certainly weren't wasn't perfect, and as I've come to know in my later years, in my mid thirties, if you know, my later years being my mid thirties. Um, that, you know, family dysfunction happens in every family at every level, no matter whether it's a really great family or very unhealthy family. There's family dysfunction really at every level. So, so you know, I grew up going to church. I'm very thankful for that gift in my life. I'm thankful for the presence of God shaping my worldview and my uh, per- perceptions growing up. But yeah, there were dysfunctions in my family And I think that's just being honest.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that too, because that's important to understand too. All right, so just to like, kind of like segue into your stories. So Bill has come prepared to talk about some hard topics and I definitely appreciate his openness and his willingness to share. Um, But yeah, so can you talk about his struggles um, with porn addiction? Yeah,
0: so, you know, pornography I actually for the last 4 years since I've been in a healing journey this has become a subject that crazy enough I never thought that this would be something that I would talk about as much or as frequently about as as I do and it reminds me of first peter 2:9 and first peter 2:9 is a verse that God gave me in my teenage years when I was really in my kind of god quests my searching for god journey And I'm just going to read 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I didn't really realize the depths of this verse and this promise for my life. But as a teenager, it reminded me of several things. Life is not an accident. Mm. Yeah and i grew up going to christian school till fifth grade and then i transitioned to public school from sixth grade until i graduated high school so i feel like i had you know both a christian education and a public education and i really wrestled of course being in public schools with you know learning a lot about evolution and and just kind of life is material life is now and there's not a whole lot at thereafter so You know, I'm grateful for my Christian upbringing because I think it gave me a good uh, religious rooting in the fact that I can believe that I'm a created being by God and that God has an intention and purpose for my life. And yet, you know, even in my teenage years, as I struggled with, with in my God journey, this promise, you know, really anchored, I've got meaning, God's got a plan for me. And he wants to call me out of darkness into his light so I can praise his name and proclaim the praises of his name Mm -hmm. to all those around. And, you know, this interview is one of those opportunities that God is giving, uh, giving me to proclaim his praises to maybe those who are still in darkness looking for light or looking for direction Um, So this is a promise that's been really, really huge in my life. And so thinking about, of course, this journey with pornography, um, really so many people like me are caught in the darkness of pornography. And what God wants to do is call us out of that darkness and do that miracle and set us free. Now, I'll share a little bit about my story here. So, Uh, something happened to me around age six. I don't know what it was. I've not been able to pinpoint it, but something happened to me. And it really began this journey of living a life of fantasy in my head. And so in uh, social work terms, this would be called really a disassociative behavior. And so in my own head, there was a lot of fantasy going on, fantasy with girls, fantasy in general, fantasy of like saving people, fantasy of like being angry and fighting people. And so there was a lot of these things going on in my head, you know, this started around age six. And so from then, because, you know, somehow, you know, fantasy with girls began at such a young age, uh, it was very easy when by about fourth grade, when I was 10 years old, uh, my best friend from church, one day after church, we went to hang out at, at, his, at his church. And, you know, I grew up in an Adventist church. So, you know, so we kept Sabbath and I believe beautifully in the message of and the teaching of, of, of Sabbathing and the Sabbath experience with God. You know, and so here we are on, you know, after church on a, on a Sabbath Saturday afternoon. And my friend boots up his computer. And at this time it's in the mid nineties. And all we had was AOL dial up AOL. And for those who are older enough, old enough to remember dial up AOL, Hey, you know uh, you've dated yourself just like me. (laughs) And uh, for those who were younger, younger than that, and like, I have no idea what dial up and AOL is, Hey, that's okay. That was part of the Dinosaur days of the internet from what we had. <laughs> uh, yes. but, uh, but I'll never forget that afternoon, hearing the sounds of dialing up. I didn't know what he was going to share with me, but he opens up his computer and started surfing pornography and introduced me to pornography. It was the same friend that introduced me to masturbation. Wow. You know, at the same time, fourth grade, 10 years old. And, and I didn't realize what kind of effect that would have in my life. I really did not know. But time, time has told that story as I was an addict for about 19 years and it really affected my life in so many ways. It was something I kept private. It's something I kept hidden. My parents had no clue that I was a full-blown porn addict from age 10 to 18. My parents had no clue. I was able to circumvent all the parental parameters in our home and, uh, and, you know, act out, you know, as a as a young kid, you know, preteen, teenager for almost eight years avoiding parental um, notice. And so, you know, that then of course paired with a lot of video gaming, video gaming, pornography, where my, my two uh, disassociative behaviors that really uh, caused me to check out for my family and some of the family dysfunctions and so on going on. Uh, this is my experience with my family so you know in all of that uh i look back at those years and i see how much you know i lost as a kid how much i lost the emotional stunting that i received as a result of being exposed and developing an addiction at such a young age the, the effect it has on emotional and mental stunting or relational stunting as well and so you know to kind of keep things brief, you know, it was that pornography influence that I think led into my direction of really being an agnostic. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, because I prayed, I prayed, God, take this away from me. God, take this away from me. Uh, but it never went away. You know, I went to a church that never talked about pornography or anything about sexuality. The only, the only conversations I got about sex, sex and sexuality were in public school and with my public school friends and teachers and the internet. And
1: like- what you shared right there but like that praying of just like god change me or god take this away from me like i think that's like sometimes we forget that that is like a story of christianity too because like i had a young girl one time tell me she's like you know i believe in god and i expected him to change my life instantly like like these other people say they're like oh i believed in god and all of a sudden i had peace and i was happy and everything changed and she's like i said i believed in god and nothing changed and like you're saying, you know that's a hard place to be. Of saying, God change me, God do this, and nothing happened. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so that was really a, a difficult time period in my life. And so I believe that that really had an influence. Plus, you know, my my friends in public school had an influence on my agnostic trends. There were things that happened at my church that were very painful. That really that I didn't like. And so it caused me to drift. And I was like, I don't want to be a part of that. and caused me to drift. Um, you know, and then of course, you know, other influences, of course, video gaming and MTV was, you know, MTV is still big, but it was huge in the mid nineties, huge in the mid nineties. And uh, you know, and so all these influences were really affecting me. Um, I'm thankful though, that God uh, had mercy in my life and brought me to a point of really Uh, where I call kind of my judgment day, where my dad found out about some of my uh, summer behaviors and activities when I was uh, 16 years old, just got my driver's license, got my first, you know, first job and job or two. And, uh, you know, I thought I had the world by the horns. You know, I had a job, I had money, I had a car I was driving. I'm 16 years old, I really didn't have anything. Uh, But I thought I was a big shot. And so, uh, and so, you know, I was really, that was really the time period that I was really drifting away. And so, you know, for years though, prior to that, I'd been listening to to a, a TV program called 3ABN. And I'd heard all the stories of like, you pray and God does a miracle and you're changed and that's it. And I never really experienced that. And I thought, well, you know, from all the stories I've heard before, I've got to be a drunk or an alcoholic or a or a gangster or something like that in order for God to like kind of answer that prayer and bring change in my life so God led me to this kind of like judgment day when I was 16 it was sometime in late September early October and uh, my dad confronted me about some of the things I've been doing and a Bible verse went through my mind that I had no recollection ever having read or memorized or anything in my life before but it was the verse that was like surely your sins will find you out and I was Mm -hmm. like that raced through my mind. I still remember that distinctly to this day. And, and I was like, I've never read that. Where's that from? Only years later did I discover that that's written in the book of Proverbs. Um, And so, (laughs) so, uh, so in that, in that day, you know, that judgment day at the end of it all, like I knelt down by my bed. I was like, God, I don't believe you exist. I really don't. But if you do, change my life. I really gave him like one more shot. And in that, I made a commitment. I was like, God, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. You've got to change my life. And so I started reading my Bible, just one chapter a day. I didn't know where to begin. So I started in Matthew chapter one. And even though I've been going to church all my life, I had no clue where to begin reading my Bible. I'd been going to this youth club, Pathfinders, but I still didn't know where to begin reading the Bible. But I started in Matthew chapter one. I figured, hey, you know, starting with the stories of Jesus is probably a good place to begin. So I started reading. Six months later, I'd read the New Testament. And God had really actually done a lot of work in transforming my life, helping to helping to bridge some of the pain and move into forgiveness with some feelings I had of parents and towards my, my, my previous church that they were going to. And so I was able to move into that space, and God put a mentor in my life at the right time to help me through the, navigate that process. Meanwhile, though, I'm still struggling with pornography and other unwanted sexual behaviors. You know, it was that was still plaguing me. Uh, so I started pursuing purity culture, mm-hmm. and thinking purity culture would fix me, but it didn't. It only confused me with about the message of. Uh, of sexuality and human sexuality. And it really harmed me in other ways that were, uh, that were not helpful as such. So just kind of, you know, that as my teenage years, you know, I was still a full-blown addict until 18. And, um, and then that kind of is one segment of my story introduced at 10, 18, uh, eight years of just really full-blown addiction and navigating life with that coping mechanism because of, pain and other things going on that was my disassociative uh mechanism to disconnect with reality around me
1: yeah oh goodness yeah and I definitely think that like that's what a lot of our sins like like are is these ways to cope like with just like the life around us and things because like I know like definitely like some of my sins I'm like like um like I like to lie a lot it's just it's a sin that I struggle with and I'm like but I look and I see and I'm like what is the root of this? And I'm like, this is how I cope with life. And it is not healthy in any way, shape or form. But I just, yeah, I definitely think that we as humans we cling to these sins as a way to cope when really God has the answers better than the sin that we to. Um, Absolutely. So then you said, um, so that's from 10 to 18, but you said that it continued for 19 years. So it continues after that then too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So at about eight, 18 years old, just before I turned 19, I went off to Bible college. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to go to Bible college, it really did have a transformative effect in my life. But pornography had been such a friend in my life for so long, that of course, while I was there, uh, that friend was kind of starved and left on the outside. And so I call those years during, uh, while I was there at Bible college, my dry drunk years. Mm -hmm. And so you know, an alcoholic can be a dry drunk, they're still an alcoholic even though they're not drinking, and and that's very much a real thing. And so, and so for me, I wasn't acting out, you know, during those uh, three three and a half years or so that I was there at uh, Baba College, and then serving as a as a student mission student missionary uh, for a year after that. Um, you know, those are really my dry drunk years, and so I'm thankful for those. And I thought during that time I had kicked this. I was like, yes, this is gone and out of my life for good. But I hadn't realized that really, I would not gotten down to the root of the issue in my life to actually treat the pain, the brokenness inside. And I think this is really important to, to share right now that pornography is a symptomatic behavior. Like any addiction, it's a symptomatic behavior of a deeper brokenness that God wants to bring healing in a person's life. Yes. And, and so I didn't know this at that time, of course. Uh, But I thought, hey, this is done, it's in the past, I'm good, it's not going to affect me the rest of my life. And so while I'm on my year of serving as a student missionary overseas, um, you know, my communication with my family began to kind of be a little odd and and weird and different. And I had heard some grumblings that, that things weren't well between my parents, but I didn't really understand to what extent was going on until the day I came back and the day I came back is when I actually discovered that my parents had separated, my dad had had an affair, um, oh. and during that time, and, you know, I've only learned since that he also had been a porn addict, you know, prior to the affair, and uh, and, and and so on, and so, like, anyway, so, so I come back from a year of mission, serving God overseas, really experiencing some great things, you know, to hear, like, hey, something's not quite right, right at home, but I don't really know to the extent of it all. And then coming back to the U.S. and then like being, having it thrown in my face and just like what in the world? And, and that really marks really one of the most dark times in my life. Uh, coming back, I had no job, I had no work. You know, I really had no home because of what had happened in my family. There's no safe place for me. And so I ended up living like two months as like a homeless vagabond, driving across the country, visiting family and friends, because I had no place to go, no work, no place. And uh, using literature evangelism to support myself along the way, just door knocking and selling books and and praying that God would provide enough, you know, so I could, you know, drive from one family member's house to the next and, you know, and spend time with them, you know, until I could figure out what was going on in my life. Such a dark and difficult experience. and uh, uh, a, lot, a lot of pain there, a lot of pain. Um, and it was just shortly after that, that in the midst of all the pain, I knew I was looking for love. And so I started a relationship with, with a young lady that I had known uh, for a while. And, and I knew I was doing this out of like the searching for love, searching for something to replace and fill the hole of just the, the, the chaos and the brokenness of my parents' separation and divorce and all the pain associated. And, and it was in that journey of looking for love, really the drive to go back to pornography resumed. And, and once it hit, once it came back, I was like, that's it. Like I'm, I'm addicted for life. I'm done. There's no way out of this. There's no way out of this. And, um, but you know, uh, God, yeah, look at this, and I s- yet see God's mercies in all of this. You know, mm-hmm. how, you know, where, where there's a God that's real. You know, He's brought about change in my life before, but, you know, now I'm stuck back in addiction in these cycles, you know, incredible trauma and pain, you know, as a result of my parents' separation and divorce and all that's happened there, um, you know, let alone the previous dysfunction as, a, you know, in my early preteen and teen years associated with family and bullying at school and all of that. So, and then pornography itself is traumatizing. I mean, a kid should not be exposed to pornography. And and it's said that, you know, when a child is exposed to pornography, like under the age of 18, like that's sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And so here I am 10 years old, you know, experiencing sexual abuse. Yes. You know, through the, just the fact of being exposed to pornography and this just really, uh, you know, it's just layer of trauma after trauma, after trauma and, you know, impacting my life. So, yeah. So anyway, so I get into, you know, my, my early twenties, uh, I'm back into, into an addictive cycle. This time it's what's called a binge purge cycle that I'll binge for a time. And then I'll just do everything I can to purge because I hated it. And then I'll purge for a while and then I'll binge again, then I'll purge. And, and this is, Common for any addictive cycle, binge uh, pattern, and that really marked my life for, as I, you know, did ministry for for the following, you know, several years, and then transitioned to finishing my undergraduate studies and graduate studies, and until I got married. And so, yeah, so it's kind of the overarching story of of, of that addiction journey and how that's just affected me. Um, uh, but there's so much there's so much that I can say now.
1: That's quite the process. And like, I think that like we can struggle with a lot of sins and just be that binge purge. I know like myself, I like, yeah, I've, I felt that in my life where I'm just like, I'm not going to do this. And then I just like go out and do all of it. And then, oh, I'm not going to do this. Oh, yes, I, yeah, I'm just going to full blown into it. But that's just, that's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to like reconcile that walk with God. And I can't imagine trying to do ministry in the midst of all of those things. But But like your story doesn't end there. You said that you, that God gave you a process of healing. You want to talk about that? Yeah.
0: So the process of healing for me started really when, uh, you know, it started when I was an undergrad, as I started doing some counseling. uh, And that helped me move beyond some of the pain and trauma associated with my parents' separation and divorce. And, And then as I went on through seminary, in my continued um, training and education for ministry, uh, with some other courses that really helped help me dig deeper with just deeper deeper issues and stuff in my life, and then and then from there, really uh, when I after getting married, I realized for the first time just the enormity of the brokenness in my life that all the years of pornography and the family dysfunction and the traumas, you know, resulted from that really, really had brought into my life. And, and I'm thankful for my wife and I'm thankful for marriage. I think marriage is a beautiful thing, but rarely do people bring up and talk about that. You know, when you get married, like your stuff comes out your, your traumas get exposed. Your, the depths of your brokenness are made very plain and clear that when you're a single person, you really don't see them. And so, you know, getting married six months in, uh, my wife basically, basically said, hey, either get healthy or we have to rethink our marriage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how unhealthy and broken I was. So I'm thankful for the providential leading of God in this way. I've had some counseling before. We had, you know, two different premarital counselors guiding us through and and all of that was good. You know, my my seminary experience had some really solid things that helped me move forward in some deeper healing in my life. Uh, But there was more. There was there's there was absolutely more that needed to really get get processed, and so in a providential way, one of my wife's best friends shared with her, "Hey, here's a resource that might that helps my husband. It's called the Conquer series. It's uh, available now through through a streaming program. But uh, but that series got introduced into my life, and you know, like anybody living in denial, it's like, "Oh, I'm not that bad. I don't need some." To- Oh, that's too expensive. Why should we, you know, uh, I was living in denial, but, but the introduction of that series, and I started going to counseling again, uh, this time much more regularly, intentionally for myself and for our marriage. And God just really exposed to me the layers and the depth of shame, the amount of shame that I carried in how, and the negative thinking I had about myself. And I thought myself as a worthless person, as an unlovable person, as someone who just couldn't ever be accepted or loved or appreciated, you know? And so, yeah, that's really where, where my, my, my mindset was. And that's a very negative and very dark mindset. I believed in God. And this time, you know, at this point in my life, I, I had a much more uh, intentional relationship with God, but still my brokenness was affecting me just put it that way and i appreciated it uh you know i lead groups now for for guys who struggle with with porn addiction or other unwanted sexual behaviors and so in 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 group recently as we were discussing uh discussing things uh, and and going through the conquer series again uh, brought up that really our emotional unhealth affects our relationships around us mm-hmm. and it affects our relationship with god and mm-hmm. so the the more that we can invest in our emotional health and well-being through counseling, group work, therapy, et cetera, like the better our relationships will be with others, interpersonal relationships, and the better our relationship will be with God. Ooh, and I love
1: that so much. Like as a social worker, I'm like, yes, tell them. <laughs> but that is so funny. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like I we don't hear that said so often that our emotional health like affects our relationship with God. And like, I have, I have myself seen it. And like my sister, um, she struggled with like depression and stuff. And we, we have both seen that, you know, being emotionally unhealthy, it's like, you feel that feeling of God, where are you? Or just like, God is not here for you. And just like all these other feelings, like, you know, you're saying you can't feel love. You don't feel like you're worthy of love. And just like all of these things that when you're emotionally unhealthy, it's just, yeah, really affects that relationship, all relationships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that our, when we're emotionally unwell, and that could be depression, trauma, uh, trauma in its varying capacities and layers, you know, it could be any other sort of, of of mental, uh, mental illness uh, Mm -hmm. or unhealth. And, and really like, I appreciate this illustration that when a person has a broken foot or broken wrist or broken arm or whatever, like, they go to the doctor, they get help, and they have to take care of themselves, you know, while their body is mending. And the same thing is true for our emotional well-being. God created us as a whole being, our mental being, our physical being, our spiritual being, our, you know, in every capacity, we are one whole being. And so when we're crippled in one area of life, whether it may be physically or emotionally, that has an effect on every other aspect. When a person has a broken foot, they're limping or a broken hand. They have to use one hand to get by and they're limited. Their range of motion is limited. And the same thing as with, with, mental health, when we're dealing with addiction or other mental health issues, like our range of emotional movement and capacity is also limited. So I appreciate just that connection, you know, yeah. just what you were saying there. Sure. But
1: yeah, sorry to interrupt. Go on. Um
0: yeah so so to make a long story short i've been in a healing journey for four years and for for years i had thought if i just pray and read my bible more this will go away in ministry i did this uh i i was trying this even in my later teen years when i really started my god journey pray and read your bible more it'll just go away it didn't it didn't And only since beginning this recovery and healing journey, have I come to realize that addiction is a sin issue. Yes. Uh, But it's also a brain issue because our brains are part of our bodies. We can't just override our brain. Um, We have to work with our brain and bring healing to to how our brain processes work. Uh, And that fundamentally goes into you know, shaping, reshaping a worldview. How do we think about ourselves, others, God? Um, It goes into fundamentally reshaping our habits and practices and lifestyle in, in our lives, because we have to heal the brain and give the brain new ways of doing things as we work to overcome an addiction. Now, there are stories, and God bless them, there are stories where people have prayed God set me free from from alcohol or smoking or this or that or, or, or drugs, whatever it may be. And God does it. And God bless you if that's your story. I'm glad God has done that miracle in your life. But for the majority of people, they need to enter into a healing journey. And I think this is something that as a church that we often forget that a person needs grace. They need truth and they need time time in order to bring about that kind of transformation that is needed for their for their entire life to be transformed and really this this goes into you know since i'm studying at a doctorate level in missions um, now and i work with refugees uh that's a crazy cool story in its own right in its own way but um but really like this is the discipleship process, like healing from addiction and recovery in that capacity or family dysfunction, trauma, whatever it may be, that's actually all part of discipleship. And as a church, often we, we, we focus on discipleship being like, let me just give you knowledge and then you're good and that's it, you know? But God wants to do so much more to transform our hearts and set us free. And that usually comes in a journey with a safe group of people in a safe mm-hmm. community that can speak truth, that can help us form new habits, that can help us learn and put into practice those things that can help bring ultimately healing to our brain, new, new worldview, new way of thinking and processing life, and then, you know, and then bringing freedom you know, from the addiction in general. You know, in the last four years, you know, of my recovery journey, I've relapsed twice, and you know, it's been painful. You know, I don't like that, uh, but you know, God's not done yet, and I keep coming back to First Peter two nine, that even in my life, I look back at, at at my story, and I see so much pain and difficulty and dysfunction and trauma, yet God has been faithful to me in that He said, "You're chosen, you're royal." You're holy. You're my special person, Bill, and I've called you to proclaim my praises to a world in darkness. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm thankful for that. And really, one of the best gifts I think that that I have to offer to the world is the simple fact that my story, my story of brokenness, and dysfunction, and healing, is is the gift that God wants me to give to the world to give other people hope and maybe direction about where to go to find, uh find help yeah. and find healing and find God's grace.
1: I know. I, I love that God uses the parts of us that sometimes it's like the parts that we don't want to share. And God is like, this is, the, this is what I want you to share with others. This is a gift. And just like, yeah, our whole lives, whether it, it is the parts we don't want to share or the parts that we do want to share. It's just these things that God is like, this is how I work. It, you're called to share. And like you're saying to proclaim, proclaim his goodness. And I'm just, yeah, that's super awesome. And I also just love to what you shared and all the resources that you shared in it too. It's not just like, Oh, figure it out on your own, but you figure like, this is what helped. And this is what worked for you. And I think that's awesome because I think like, yeah, with talking about this, we need to share too, what's helping and what's working. Cause sometimes like, like with our emotional unwellness, um we don't think of it as the same as our body unwellness it's like oh one of my body's unwell I go see a doctor but with emotional unwellness you're like oh you pray and read your bible more but sometimes you know it's it's the same as going to see a doctor you need to go get counseling or you need to go do something and I think sometimes we forget those things but that's super mm, awesome absolutely. and as our absolutely. time starts to wrap up I just want to give you the opportunity um if you have any last words or any last things that you want to share with our listeners
0: Yeah, you know, this one phrase that I got from a pastor who's had a lot of influence in my life over the last four years. And he shared this really simple but profound thought that out of the place of your deepest pain or wounding or brokenness is where God's call is in your life and where you will be most effective in sharing the love of God with others.
1: Mm.
0: And I just think that's absolutely profound. How is it that in the place where it's really the darkest and the place that I'd rather keep my story closed up in a closet and locked away and not share it and just be happy and just not really talk about that. But really what God has taught me from that in closing is that he wants that door to be open Because that honestly is the best gift I can give to others as a revelation of God's love and grace and mercy in this world. Because let's put it this way, we live in a broken world that's affected by sin. Uh, I work with refugees and my heart breaks as I work with refugee situations around the world. And let's put it this way, we live in a world where every single one of us are affected by trauma the trauma of sin, the trauma of brokenness, we've all been there, but God is, but God, like I think of a text in Isaiah, where it says that God has chiseled us out of the rock. He's human us out and brought us out so that he can do a mighty, beautiful miracle. And, you know, to, to, to the listeners listening right now, you know, I don't know what your story may be, but you know, the place of your deepest wounding and pain in your life, is where God wants to do his next miracle and bring healing. And that is the place where you can be most effective in leading others to a knowledge and understanding of Jesus and hope and love and, and so much more. And that's where, that's where I've experienced really God showing me that my most effective ministry is in helping guys with pornography issues. And, uh, and that's just blown away, blown me away. I never thought that would be the case. Uh, you know, men, old men, young men, you know, and every age in between. And, and that's, yeah, I believe that for every one of us, you know, you two, Kylie, and that, uh, you, the place of your deepest brokenness is where God wants to make his next miracle
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and where you're most effective for his kingdom.
1: Mm. And that, that can be such a scary call. Like you're saying, like, that's not, yeah, it can be scary for us to be like, okay, God, I guess I'm going to share that part, but the but just like you shared too like the awesomeness and the miracles that can come out of like listening to that calling but yeah yeah, thank you so much bill for sharing today i super appreciate what you shared and your vulnerableness and just the openness of sharing about that those hard things so i just super appreciate it and i hope our listeners do as well so thank you for your time and have a good day everyone bye if you've enjoyed today's episode don't forget to follow share like and review also, you can contact us at our Facebook page that is God is Real God is Good Podcast, or you can email us at God is Real God is Good Podcast at gmail.com. Bye! Bye.